Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a selected text of scripture to understand what it means and what it might call us to do as a result. In today's episode, A Righteous Branch, we're kicking off the Advent season by looking at a few passages in the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah that urged God's people to remember and wait on God and how we can do the same today. Let's get started. So far this month, we've been looking at the various ways God made his presence and faithfulness known to his people, particularly the prophets. We saw how God provided for Elijah and an unnamed widow and her family in the midst of a famine. We saw how God foreknew the plans for the prophet Samuel even before his birth, by the way he provided a son for Hannah, his mother, and a calling for that son. And these prophets were the forerunners of many more like them who all carried slight variations of the same message. Obey God, follow God, trust in God, remember God, or bear the consequences of a life devoid of God. And as the years went on, Israel went through a great number of kings, many of whom who led the people astray, and therefore a great number of prophets arose alongside them who tried to steer the people back to God. And among other things, many of them spoke of a Messiah to come who would rescue God's people from various states of political and societal distress. And We see prophecies about this coming Savior most prominently with prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Take, for example, this passage from Isaiah chapter 64, which reads as something of a communal prayer that the prophet is making on behalf of the people. To be more specific, this prayer is more of a lament. A lament is a device used all throughout scripture, the book of Psalms and, of course, the book of Lamentations being the most notable collection. Laments are prayers that come from a state of desperation, grief, pain, basically any circumstance that feels completely out of our control. Laments aren't prayerful whining, though. Prayers of lament are not only acceptable, but are sometimes necessary for our spiritual formation. Because in the midst of vocalizing our anguish, a lament seeks clarity about the present circumstances and is prayed with absolute conviction that God will somehow bring relief. So in this lament in Isaiah chapter 64, the prophet is talking about where things went wrong with the people and what must be done to rectify these wrongs. And it all surrounds this word, remember. In verse 1, Isaiah tells the people to remember God. Isaiah invokes a call back to what God has done in the past by saying, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Isaiah is reminding the people of what God has done in the past by declaring them to God. 
Isaiah longs for the times when God would descend in our human dimension as he did all throughout the Exodus and at various points in Israelite history. It's as though he's saying, Remember how clearly you used to make your presence known to us, God? Remember when your presence manifested on Mount Sinai while you spoke with Moses and gave us the commandments that the entire mountain was engulfed in smoke and trembled violently? Remember when the sun stood still when Joshua battled the Amorites? Remember when you sent fire down from the heavens at Elijah's cry and put the prophets of Baal to shame? But in verse 6, Isaiah points out that we, the people, did not remember. While Isaiah praises God for all those wondrous deeds in the past, he knows why God no longer intervenes for the people. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Like the other prophets had warned, the people were praying and singing and offering sacrifices, but they were futile. Their most righteous acts were equivalent to nothing more than filthy rags. The presence of God was no longer with them, or rather, they were no longer with God. Because it wasn't God who left us. God's very nature is holiness, which means he cannot associate with sin and darkness. Not because he chooses not to, but because he can't. And this is the entire reason God put sending his son into motions such that sinful humanity could be reconciled to a sinless being, God. And in laments such as this one, this text is written to make it seem as though God has intentionally turned his back on his people, when in reality, God hasn't gone anywhere. It was people with our sin and disobedience that have turned away from God. So after revealing that it was the duty of the people to remember God, which they had neglected to do, Isaiah then prays in verses 8 through 9 for God to remember the people. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This imagery of God as the potter and people as the clay is one you've probably heard before, but it's kind of a strange example if you think about it, because what is the relationship between the clay and its potter? See what it says in Jeremiah chapter 18. He says, So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Do you realize how deeply crippling and even demoralizing it is to be compared to a lump of clay? Clay, for the most part, has no intrinsic value. It's 
pretty much just wet dirt. It's what can be done with the clay that determines the worth of the clay. And the clay represents both what it is and what it can be. Jeremiah, like Isaiah and the other prophets, he knew what it was like to live in this tension. He knew that God's people were about to fall on hard times because of exactly what we just read with Isaiah, but he also knew who God was, which is why we find in Jeremiah chapter 33 a passage filled with hope and promise. Hear these words in verses 14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Now we benefit from living in the future that we know this righteous branch is none other than Jesus himself. But we have to understand that at the time that these promises from God were being uttered by Jeremiah, they seemed highly unlikely to be fulfilled. That once glorious kingdom of Israel from the heyday of David and Solomon were long since split in two and were on the verge of, if not already, invaded and taken over by neighboring kingdoms. Jeremiah himself, scripture tells us, while he was still confined in the courtyard of the guard as he was writing this, which means basically he was imprisoned. So why was this a message of hope and promise? Because Jeremiah is reminding us that remembering alone is not enough. The prophets were telling the people to, yes, remember who God is, remember what God has done, but also wait. Wait for God. Wait for the righteous branch to sprout who will do what is just and right in the land. Wait for salvation. Wait for safety. Now, today is the first Sunday of Advent, which is a season that is both past and future. Both happened already and yet to come. It's the time when we reflect on how God's people had waited in agony for the Savior all those years ago, and how we now, as the church, can remember the Savior who came, but also continue to wait for the Savior's return. It's a season of both remembering and waiting. But we, like as the prophets point out, are in many respects worthless clay. We are powerless and amorphous on our own, and we constantly forget our purpose and in whose hands we are supposed to be. We let the worries of this life dent us and chisel away at our resolve to stand firm in the faith. And when it all becomes overwhelming, we start to doubt God's hands at work. 
But as Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 16, we have this tendency to turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? Corey Ten Boom once wrote that, a potter can only mold the clay when it lies completely in his hand. It requires complete surrender. The thing is, instead of falling in step with God's plans, we tend to insist on our own, and then we resent God for allowing our plans to fall through. My husband and I have this habit of not telling our kids what we'll be doing or where we'll be going. And uh, if we're honest, a lot of it has to do with the fact that if we tell them in advance, we'll get peppered incessantly with follow-up questions like, you know, are we there yet every other minute? And the other reason is we know how deeply disappointed they'll get if plans were to change at the last minute. If friends have to cancel a play day or if a trip to an amusement park gets rained out, for example. So we like to leave them in the dark until the friends show up at our door or we're at the gate of the theme park. And, and of course, when we've arrived, they're beyond ecstatic. But the reason this works is that my kids have no plans of their own. They can shift at a moment's notice, and they're completely okay with whatever their parents have planned for their day. They have nothing else to do. And this is what waiting on God should look like. Instead of resisting the plans God has for us, we need to clear our schedule, so to speak, and allow God to mold us and His plans for us, however and whenever is best in His eyes. So as we enter the Advent season, go ahead and lament in the things that are weighing heavy on your soul. But as you do so, remember and then wait on the Lord. Remember all that God has done for you. Remember to turn from the things that have hidden yourself from God. And remember that though you may have begun as unremarkable clay, you are in fact God's workmanship, his handiwork, his masterpiece, because you are in his hands. Let's pray. God, they say good things come to those who wait but we know that seasons of waiting can be agonizing. In those moments of stillness, we grow anxious and start to question your plans and your faithfulness toward us. Forgive us and remember us, God. Even when we shrivel up like a leaf because of our spiritual drought, you sprout up for us a righteous branch who breathes new life into us and brings us back to you. So as we celebrate the season of waiting for the incarnation of your son and long for the day of his return, help us to remain faithful, to remember you, 
to wait on you all the while allowing ourselves to be molded, shaped, remolded, and reshaped according to what is best in your eyes. We pray in the name of the Lord, our righteous Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.